just thought maybe we should um, give Jeff a proper welcome. Many of us know him um, as the pastor at the Nelson Church. Um, his wife, Heather, and their four children are not here this morning. Um, you can probably guess why, because that's a big ordeal to come all the way out here. Um, yeah, so let's just uh, give a, a warm welcome to Jeff, and uh, we're excited to hear from you this morning. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you very much for, for having me. These pulpit exchanges are really fun. They're refreshing for the pastors. I hope that they're refreshing for you guys as well. Uh, one little housekeeping thing. Uh, we have a, we're sponsoring an event in Nelson on November 7th called Supporting Children and Teens with Anxiety. Um, we're bringing in um, someone from our Nelson church, uh, Dr. Kerry Flessiger, who's a registered psychologist and is going to be sharing kind of strategies on how to help children and teens that are struggling with anxiety. And this is something that we're doing just to bless and love on our community. And so it's open to as many people as possible. So we've created a Facebook event. So if you can find it on Facebook, then please share that widely. There's also these little handout cards that have information on the front and the back. I've left maybe 20 or so on one of the tables out there. If you know of a family or an individual that uh, you think this might be of help to and of support, uh, please use this to say, hey, I don't know if you've heard about this, but this is happening, and uh, yeah, be sure to check it out. So we're really hoping that the word gets out on this, because we want to be a church like you guys, through initiatives like Beyond the Bell, who aren't just uh, loving people on our own terms, but we're being aware of the needs and questions that our community is asking and saying, uh, how can we help? How can we love you? And then as we love and as we serve, and as people receive that love and that service, and then they say, well, why are you doing this again? Then we can begin to have conversations about our faith, our love for God, our love for people, our desire as a church to be a blessing and a light to the community that we're in. That's at 7 p.m. That'll be about an hour presentation and then about 30 minutes of Q&A, so 7 to 8.30. And it's going to be held at the front room. It's not going to be at our church. Uh, for events like this, there tends to be a, a, an immediate hesitation if people find out that it's at a church. So we're letting people know our church is sponsoring it, but it's at a, the front room, which is a neutral, neutral kind of third-party event space in Nelson. And there's a map on the back of this card if you don't know where that is. Okay, uh, let's take a moment to continue to pray as we uh, move into God's Word this morning. <clears throat> God, I'm really inspired. I'm, I'm pumped to hear some of the initiatives and the heart behind what's happening here with Beyond the Bell and Deb sharing about Operation Christmas Child. That's super awesome, God. And um, we want to hear more stories like that, more stories of people experiencing your love, people within this church being galvanized to mission, to loving their neighbors in ways big and small, Monday through Sunday. Um, God, as we open up your word this morning, I pray that this message would take root in our hearts, um, we know that your word is always good seed, God. The, um, often, often the determining factor is the soil of our own hearts. So pray that you would work that soil so that we receive the seed, so that it uh, takes root and it actually bears much fruit, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 7. 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 7. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. I'm not sure what Bible you're reading in, but it's going to be more or less the same. This is a book written 
or it's a letter written by Paul through the power of the Holy Spirit to a younger protege, Timothy, in the faith. Timothy's a younger person who Paul is saying, I want you to uh, plant a church, I want you to lead a church. And so this is one of the earliest examples, First and Second Timothy, of uh, pastoral mentorship. But these books are amazing because they're not just an insight into what it looks like to grow and mature as a pastor, but what it means to grow and mature as a Christian. There's a lot of transferable lessons here. So this is Paul writing to Timothy, and he says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. And similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown, except by competing according to the rules. The hard-working farmer um, should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. This passage has been on my heart uh, a lot lately, and I'm not really sure why. I just keeps coming to the forefront. I keep reflecting on it, like Paul encouraged Timothy to do. And specifically, what I'm reflecting on in the passage are three occupations and three illustrations that Paul wants Timothy to reflect on in terms of the nature of what he should expect as a pastor, but then transferably, what he should just generally expect as a follower of Jesus. He mentions three things. In verse 3, he says, Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Then in verse 5, he says, Anyone who competes as an athlete. And then in verse 6, he talks about a hardworking farmer. So he uses three illustrations, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer, to frame how Timothy is to understand and move into his pastoral role. But I found this to be really fruitful in reflecting on, just generally speaking, Jeff Strong as a disciple or as a follower of Jesus, how, what does it look like for me to live on the ground level of every day as I follow Jesus? And what should I expect as I do that? As I follow Jesus into my everyday life, what should I expect? How should my attitude and posture of my heart be calibrated? Paul says to Timothy, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. And I love that. Uh, Paul is saying, Uh, There's a lot here. If you continue to prayerfully reflect on it, God's just going to keep opening up meaning to you. So I'm going to share some things that I've kind of learned over the years and how this passage has really challenged me, and I hope it's going to be a challenge and an encouragement to you as well. Um, Let's start by drawing, you know, kind of connecting how um, these three illustrations, how all of them, what they have in common in terms of teaching us what it means to be a Christian. So first of all, they just all require single-mindedness. Whether you're a soldier or an athlete or a farmer, all of these things are things that you have to dedicate yourself to in their entirety. None of these things, in a sense, work if you're just doing them casually. James 1.8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all he does. And he's speaking to someone who, in some spheres of their life, is saying, yeah, I'm totally serving the Lord here, I want to honor God here. But then in other dimensions and areas of his life, the person is saying, yeah, like I don't really, I don't see how Jesus' lordship applies over here, either unconsciously or maybe very consciously, living a duplicitous double life. 
And Paul wants Timothy to understand that whether you're a soldier or an athlete or a farmer, these are things that you cannot simply dabble in. I heard someone once say, Christianity is a terrible hobby. And it's true. It doesn't work as a hobby any more than dipping your toe in to being an Olympic-level athlete is going to work. It requires single-minded dedication. And the other thing that I think about when I reflect on all three of these things is that it's one's principal identity. They, people who are soldiers see all of life through being a soldier. Someone who's a professional athlete and has dedicated their life to that pursuit puts everything through the filter of who I am at the core of my being as an athlete. And same with a farmer. Every other responsibility, every other value in their life gets placed around the fact that I'm a soldier, that I'm an athlete, that I'm a farmer. And so, in the same way, being a Christian is the central gravitational force that holds everything together. It's not an accessory to your life. It's not way out there on the perimeter. It's the thing through which you see the world, you engage life, all of life. And uh, just the last thing that there's kind of overlap with all of them is that whether you're a soldier or an athlete or a farmer, that has ramifications for every area of your life. Each occupation determines how your entire life is going to be organized, right? In light of the fact that I'm a farmer and I have this as my responsibility, how now should I live? In light of the fact that I'm a soldier and I'm a part of this army with this commanding officer, how now should I live? How do I spend my money? How do I recreate? What kind of relationships do I form? What personal habits and disciplines do I need to integrate into my life? What kind of behaviors and and attitudes and postures of the heart do I need to put to death? Everything gets put through this lens because these are not things that simply affect parts of our life. And in the same way as a Christian, following Jesus affects every dimension of our life. So that's some ways that kind of all three illustrations overlap and intersect in terms of, uh, yeah, overlap in terms of ways that we think about what it means to follow Jesus. So I want to draw out on an individual level how each of those illustrations speak to what it means to follow Jesus. So number one, a soldier. Paul says to Timothy, I want you to reflect on the fact that being a Christian is like being a soldier. And I think one of the main messages there is that being a Christian requires enduring allegiance. And it requires enduring allegiance. Every soldier understands that part of their occupation is suffering and hardship. They understand that comes with the territory. Paul says to Timothy, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. A soldier has to suffer. War isn't a picnic, and a soldier understands that. They're training for war. They're training for hardship. John Stott, in one of his commentaries, says this, Soldiers on active service do not expect a safe or an easy time. And so they take hardship and risk and suffering just as a matter of course. And these things are part and parcel of a soldier's calling. As Tertullian put in his address to the martyrs, No soldier comes to the war surrounded by luxuries, nor goes into action from a comfortable bedroom, but from the makeshift and narrow tent where every kind of hardness and severity and unpleasantness is to be found, 
Similarly, the Christian should not expect an easy time. If he is loyal to the gospel, he is sure to experience opposition and ridicule, and so he must share in suffering with his comrades in arms. Paul is bracing Timothy, and he's saying, when war breaks out, and war will, it's going to mean that you are faced with some ugly, arduous, uncomfortable living. How many of you, just by raising your hands, would say, you have, you have walked through seasons of war in your life? See, Ephesians 6.12 says, Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul wants Christians to know that they're in a battle. He wants Christians to know that all of us have been enlisted into the Salvation Army. And we're not called as Christians to merely enjoy life, nor to pursue a life where everything around us is pleasant and uncomfortable, kind of the bubble-wrapped life, where we're to surround ourselves with bubble wrap that keeps us protected from hardship and suffering. And this illustration, I think, is really important to remember. Because an idea can creep in to our Christian worldview that says, God's blessing will mean that I'm comfortable in my life. That's the evidence of God's blessing in my life, that I'm comfortable, that I'm safe, and that I'm enjoying my life. And then if our life isn't like that, and let's be honest, often it is not, then we can get resentful of God because we think God let us down. I followed you, God, because I thought you were going to make my life easy and safe and comfortable. My life is not easy and safe and comfortable. And in fact, in some ways, being a Christian has made it less safe, more uncomfortable, more challenging. And so we can harbor resentment in our hearts towards God. We can get angry at God because he didn't come through or because the promises of Scripture aren't working. I talk to a lot of people who don't articulate these words, but it comes through with their resentment towards God. I became a Christian in order to avoid hardship, not actually get more of it. I became a Christian so that God would bless me and so that his power and might would work for me, for my agenda. But I found out early on that's not the way, that's not what I experienced. And so I'm ready to quit. I don't want anything to do with Christianity once it gets difficult. But see, no soldier thinks that way. A soldier wouldn't take one step onto the battlefield and say, oh, whoa, like a battlefield, yeah, no, I'm out. Drop their gun, turn around, walk away. Because their entire life has been leading up to that moment. They have braced themselves every day today to say, today is the day where I learn a little bit more how to die to my own ambition so that when the time comes, I'm willing to lay down my life for my comrades or my country or this greater goal. It doesn't surprise a, sh- a soldier when he or she experiences hardship. What you do is you go into battle assuming you're going to face suffering 
But you also go in with a focus on enduring allegiance. You are serving a commanding officer. It's going to get tough. You're going to endure. Your allegiance is going to be to obeying your commanding officer, regardless of how hard it gets. I will endure what comes my way and serve my commanding officer faithfully. And there are a lot of Christians who rush to follow Jesus in their lives, but then don't endure with him or stick with him because they experience hardship. And Paul says, you need to know that that's just what a soldier's life is marked by. It's just marked by suffering. And every Christian is a soldier, so every Christian needs to cultivate a heart attitude that I will endure through this and bring glory to God through this because that is why I'm fighting, to bring glory to God. Number two, Christian is an athlete. Christian life is often likened in the New Testament to a race, not in the sense that we're competing against each other, but in the sense that we are disciplined, we have a goal, we are training ourselves in godliness. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 talks about how we run and we learn to cast off sin and any weight that hinders us. So athletic metaphors are pretty common in the New Testament. But notice here, Paul specifically talks to Timothy about keeping the rules, which is maybe a little bit strange. We'll talk about that in a second. Two things to note here. Number one, discipline. Paul says we're to run the Christian race, and the word that he uses there is nomimos, which means lawfully. You run the race, nomimos. What does that mean? Well, think about a... uh, 400-meter race on a track, right? It's not actually simply the person who from start to finish runs 400 meters the fastest because there are rules to the race, right? You have to run 400 meters and stay in your lane. That's part of the rules. It's not simply who crosses the finish line first. It's who crosses the finish line while they've upheld the rules for the entire race. And if you cross the finish line, but you don't obey the rules, then you actually don't get the victor's crown. You get disqualified. And so as a Christian, I think what Paul is trying to say to Timothy is that you are an athlete, but God has set the rules for your race. You don't get to decide what being a Christian means to you in the sense that you get to pick and choose. As a Christian, you don't get to make your own rules for what it looks like to pursue Jesus. Jesus has established the rules of running the race of the Christian life, probably primarily Matthew 5 through 7. And the rules are what Jesus says, not my own customized version of Christianity. You will not get very far playing soccer if you bring to the field your own views of how the rules of the game work and say, I don't know what rules you guys are playing with, but what I've decided in my life is in the second half of the game, I can use my hands in soccer. It's just not going to fly. You don't get to set the rules. You have to play by the rules. Otherwise, you get disqualified. You get taken off the field. And I think we're living in a time, and I'm part of a generation, who, when they became Christians, through all kinds of different reasons, we're tempted to think that maybe we could make our own rules about what it meant to follow Jesus. I absolutely all 
Pursuing Jesus means pursuing justice and mercy on other people? Absolutely. I'll play by those rules. I, I firmly believe in those. Giving financially, sacrificially, tithing? Eh, like, that's good for some people. Like, if you're a Jesus keener, totally do it. But not for everybody. That's a good, good rule for you. Not necessarily for me. Anti-pornography? Absolutely want to fight that. It's exploitive. Uh, no sex before marriage? Eh, like, that's... That's a, little, that's a little harsh. You can't expect people to race according to those rules, right? That's crazy. Um, loving my neighbor, um, being a light, going out into this community, loving people, absolutely. Loving and forgiving your enemies, like, really, like people who actually have vitriol against you. Uh, maybe the general principle, yeah, but there's a few people in my life. Yeah, absolutely not, for sure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play by a different set of rules with them. It's different. As a general principle, totally I agree with it, but this enemy in my life, yeah, I'm not really going to pray for them. We do this all the time, I think, in some ways, and so this is a, a huge area of needing to ask the Holy Spirit to expose some of this hypocrisy for all of us. But Paul is saying, Timothy, you don't get to set the rules. It's all or nothing. You've got to compete according to the rules. You run your race, but you've got to stay in your lane. How does Jesus call you to live as a spouse, as an employee, as an employer, as a student, in this particular situation, when you're dating this person? How does Jesus call you to live, run according to the rules? An athlete doesn't set the rules. An athlete competes according to them. And that's important because you will have times in your Christian life where you read parts of Scripture, you read certain challenges in Scripture, and you're going to say, that does not make sense to me. And the temptation might be, I will totally obey Jesus on the stuff that I get, and that makes sense to me. For sure. No problem there. The stuff that really kind of grinds my gears or just seems strange or seems nonsensical, yeah, I'll just kind of silence those a little bit and... Um, yeah, kind of conveniently ignore them because, again, coming back to the first point, they make me uncomfortable. The thought that I really have to do these things or avoid these things, I don't know. I don't know if that would make me happy. And doesn't God want me to be happy? This is the thinking that can begin to infect our devotion to Jesus if we're not keeping some of these illustrations at the front of the... Of the uh, of our hearts. Another thing, just with the athlete thing, is, is the athlete is someone who trains. And there's a lot of Christians who want to grow in victory. They want to have a life that brings glory to God and has a big impact on people around them, but they don't enter into any kind of a training program in terms of what it means to follow Jesus. They, uh, I, I, did this, I did this for a lot of years when I first became a Christian. I just kind of woke up, said a prayer, opened my Bible, checked off the devotional thing, and it was sincere, but then I went through the rest of my day kind of just hoping that I would grow. Do, do the good stuff that you're supposed to do, avoid the, avoid the really bad stuff, the, the really hot sins, and then somehow go to church on Sunday and somehow everything's just going to... I'll just get stronger automatically. And while I wouldn't want to minimize some of those habits, an athlete doesn't think like that. An athlete thinks through the lens of everything that I'm doing today has to build into my health, and I have to be intentional in terms of what I put into my body, in terms of nutrition which for us would be the things that we expose ourselves to, the books, media, 
conversations that we're having, and also how I exercise my body, how I use my physical strength that is given me, and challenging myself. Someone has once said, the Christian life will be exhausting if you simply try to be like Christ. Instead, train to be like Christ. And that is not semantics. Trying is when we just, out of sheer willpower, try really, really, really hard to love like Jesus and try really, 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 really hard to not do sins. And there is an element of willpower in the Christian life, but it won't sustain the Christian life. You will get burned out. You will get tired. The way you sustain discipleship is to train. It's to learn new habits of heart, soul, mind, and strength. Relationships, prayer, Christian worldview, serving. And enter into a training program where you say, every day I'm going to learn how to love God better. And I'm going to allow His Spirit to form me. Right? There's a difference between getting up every day and saying, I am not going to lie. I am not going to lie. I want to, I'm, I'm just going to be so conscious of temptations to lie throughout the day. And getting up and saying, I am going to be a person of truth today. I'm going to live for the truth. I'm going to be truthful, even if it's costly, even if it, even if it is uncomfortable because it leads me to vulnerability in my relationships. Even if, even if it exposes me in some ways, I'm going to be truthful. I'm going to pursue truth. And I'm going to do these things in my life to help me move into that. Do we have any kind of a training program? I spoke at Alive last weekend, and some of you were there, and we talked about different ways that you can think through heart, soul, mind, and strength. And over the course of a month, come up with a few things that just allow you to move into the life that Jesus has for us. But it's, it's, it's trying to get away from just trying to willpower your way into spiritual growth and instead inviting the Spirit to form you through practices of relationships, prayer, scripture study, and service. And that takes discipline, right? When you think about an athlete at the highest level, they don't have a lot of margins in their life to just do stuff that they want to do. They are pretty focused. And that discipline doesn't always feel good. Um, but an athlete understands that they don't, in a sense, listen to their body and their impulses and their desires and then build their life around what, they, what kind of their body and their desires are leading them into. Paul says in the scripture, actually, I beat my body and I make it a slave. The body is my, is, is my slave. It's not my master. So a Christian structures their lives so that God is being glorified. And that's the central pursuit, not, well, what do I feel like doing in the moment? I'm training my body. I'm training my will. I'm training my mind. I'm training my heart to love God. Perseverance and endurance are necessary for an athlete to thrive at the highest level. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you need to reflect a lot on the fact that as a pastor, yes, but also as a Christian, you're an athlete. What does that look like? What does that mean for your life? And number three, being a Christian is like being a farmer. In that, it requires patient, hard work. Of all three, I get excited by the analogy of soldier. I get excited by the analogy or the illustration of athlete. I don't really get excited by the illustration of farmer. 
Part of that is I've, I have no green anything on my body, yet alone green thumbs. I don't understand much about gardening, farming. I have no experience to draw from other than the only window into my soul in that area is that when we, when we bought a house, uh, one of the stipulations was it has the least amount of grass for me to mow. Um, and we found a great little place with a little postage, postage size stamp of grass in the backyard. And after a year, um, my wife started mowing the lawn because she realized I left it because it was just something I avoided. I just, I'm not good with basic keeping of the land. So this is an illustration that for me really hits home and challenges me because following Jesus on the ground level of our lives, man, it requires the patient hard work of a farmer. It really does. Someone has said, unlike the soldier and the athlete, the farmer's life is almost totally devoid of excitement. It is almost totally remote from all glamour. And it's almost totally remote from all applause. It's a beautiful picture. (laughs) Some of us want a life that... um, Looks beautiful, right? I and mean, there's a generation of us who want kind of an Instagrammable life. We want to be able to share what God is doing in our lives and have it look beautiful and enticing and amazing. Powerful moments that inspire and uplift others and ourselves. And the reality is that's just not the life of a farmer. The farmer has to work hard without much applause or acclaim. And a farmer has to do that for a long time before they even see a harvest for their efforts. And so a wise farmer learns really early that you've got to have patience amidst a lot of hard work, even when you can't see the fruit of your efforts. A farmer understands there's maybe not a lot happening to the naked eye above ground, but underground the farmer has to trust that the seed is finding, water is rooting itself. But for a long time the farmer has to operate and do their daily duties out of trust because they're not seeing any evidence that what that their daily faithfulness is working is leading to anything and that's a challenge for me because I want my efforts and I want my striving to have immediate results I want to be able to pray for this person and wake up the next day and hear that God intervened and did something amazing I want this habit to be removed from my life and I want to be able to pray about it and have God remove it. Or I want this character trait to be right there tomorrow. It's it's good. Why wouldn't God just bring it? Like, I want this, God. And it doesn't happen. And when I don't see the harvest that I expect, there have been times in my life where I've, again, been tempted to be frustrated at God, to be angry at God. Because I haven't kept this this illustration in mind. I've thought that the illustration that I have in mind is God is like a slot machine. I put a request in, I pull the lever, and then there's kind of an immediate mechanism of response. No farmer thinks that way. A farmer understands it's going to be a lot of effort, a lot of behind the scenes, no one is seeing this. I mean, anybody who's involved in the living garden out there, you know this. You know, yeah, when the harvest comes in, 
Everyone's like, oh, it's exciting, and you're going to share reports of how many pounds of food you've given away. That's awesome. But what you don't see is the months of faithfulness that quietly lead into and build into that harvest. And I think when I think about a farmer, I often think through Paul's words in Galatians 6, where he talks about how, you know, God can't be mocked. You reap what you sow. And uh, I think about that in relationship to the farmer as well, because, again, in my experience, I've had times in my life where I've walked this way, and I, I pastor people who do as well. They're not keeping this illustration in mind, and what they're thinking is, um, I am going to live, kind of in a, to draw back into the athlete, I, I'm going to kind of create my own customized Christianity. I'm not going to root it in Scripture. It's kind of what seems right to me. I'm going to live this way, but the harvest that I want to get is just God's blessing in my life. And the most harsh way you can uh, make a distinction between those two things, I think, is this. You cannot sow seeds of disobedience and expect God's blessing. But there have been times in my life where I thought that is how it worked. God's a God of grace, right? So I can just kind of live however. I'm going to make mistakes, whatever. Thank goodness for Jesus' forgiveness. Oh, but also I'm expecting all this blessing to come into my life. And God will bless us in spite of ourselves often, but the scripture does make it clear that if you sow to the flesh, if you sow to your sinful nature, don't be surprised when you reap destruction. If you sow self-centeredly in your marriage, you will not reap a life-giving marriage and relationship of intimacy. If you sow to the flesh in your friendships and you use other people, or you gossip about other people, or you slander other people, or your relationships are fundamentally about what other people can bring into your life, don't be surprised when you reap a harvest of relational isolation and loneliness and a lack of true and deep relationships in your life. A farmer understands that the harvest is determined by what you plant. And so the patient hard work of being a follower of Jesus involves the patient hard work of being faithful every day with little things and planting seeds that are focused on loving other people, loving God. And so maybe you can begin to see now why I've said if you don't reflect on these pictures, if these don't become one of the filters through which you understand what it means to follow Jesus, you can end up pretty disillusioned and disappointed in your Christian life. But these occupations have really protected me from disillusion disillusionment from disappointment because they've taught me that Jeff as a soldier following Jesus you are going to suffer you're going to have hardship life is going to be war but God is with you Jeff you are an athlete to follow Jesus is going to require discipline and you need to play by the rules you need to seek out God's rules what Jesus has laid down follow them faithfully not just when you feel like it but in submission to his authority. And Jeff, as a Christian, you're like a farmer. And that means every day you need to sow seeds of love and faithfulness 
understanding that you might not see a harvest for a long time. It's going to require patience. There's no quick fixes. There's no silver bullet. It's just going to look like Wednesday afternoon at 2 o'clock, be faithful. Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, be faithful. Do the next right thing. Follow Jesus in all of your ways. But I think these pictures are the foundation of discipleship. And so we need to drive them into our marriages and into our community service and into our parenting and into our friendships so that we begin to recognize and to take on what it really means to follow Jesus. I think there are many people who, beyond just being these in spirit, are living these out here at this church. I think we have a lot of soldiers here. I think we have a lot of athletes. I think we have a lot of farmers. And I pray that the story of this church will be, as this church grows, as it matures, these pictures will frame how you think about your ministry as a church. May God continue to raise up soldiers and athletes and farmers for him here in Balfour to the glory of God and the good of this community. 2 Timothy 2.7 Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Let's pray.